Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Welcome into the Zuni to Gill Studios from OB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you with another great show. First things first, we've always got to do this every single year. Hearts and prayers out to all those that gave the ultimate sacrifice on 9-11. All of you that have family that have been affected by the tragedy. All of you that support those that gave their lives on 9-11. All of you that are fighting for more for those families that lost someone on 9-11. I'm here with you. So wanted to just start off the show with that. But we do have a great one as Christian Pina of the Sports Gambling Podcast Network going to be joining me in the second segment. Always great to have him aboard because he's one of the best guys in regards to prospecting that I know. And obviously with September call-ups, that is paramount. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board and something I like to call touch them all. This is typically the part of the podcast where I answer Twitter questions. You can always fire those in at GNRSquare1, the normal disclaimer. Always send them into the timeline. My DMs are under lock and key. I just do not respond to DMs. I am not one for giving out inside information for via DM. If it's going to be given out for free, it's going to be given out to the public. I am not one that takes money for anything like that. I'm not going to give you gambling advice on your stupid 18 parlay that's not going to cash for the life of you. So please send it into the timeline. And I didn't get in any today. So 
That is that. So now let's take a look back at yesterday's results, try to find some trends, and try to become better handicappers from it. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. The total in the Yankees versus Detroit Tigers game was 11, and both teams got to that total all by themselves with the Detroit Tigers overcoming a 6-0 deficit to be able to get an 11-12 win. In this one, it was home run derby for the New York Yankees. Edwin Encarnacion, his 33rd home run of the year. Brett Carter, his 22nd and 23rd. Didi Gregorius, his 15th and 16th home run of the year. And Glaber Torres, his 36th. And despite giving up six home runs, the Detroit Tigers get the win. Edwin Jackson continues to be Edwin Jackson. There's no backing this guy. Two innings pitch. Gives up six runs, all of which were earned. He did not deserve to be a pitcher in a part of a winning effort on this one, but... The bullpen of the Tigers from there, it doesn't sound impressive, but they went seven innings, giving up five runs, all of which were earned. Not necessarily awful, and for the Detroit Tigers, only one home run in this one was able to get the job done. Christian Stewart, his 10th home run of the year is for the Detroit Tigers. A great job of playing small ball in this one, 16 total hits. For the Yankees, it was a wholesale approach. Nestor Cortez Jr. wound up going for a grand total of seven outs. He gives up four runs, two of which were earned, and the fielding of the Yankees really cost him in this one, as the Yankees had one error in this one, but it led to... The runs that they gave up, five of them being unearned. Luis Sessa winds up giving up three runs, although only one of which was earned in two and two-thirds innings. And then from there, the bullpen was a little bit of a mismatch as everyone from there winds up going a combined three and a third innings, giving up five runs, four of which were earned. And for the Detroit Tigers, this is a team that's won fewer than 25% of their games at home. Good for them and the overs in regards to Games that the Yankees play on the road, over 60% of them have went over that does continue. The Atlanta Braves had the most profitable pitcher out there in the big leagues on the mound on Tuesday in Max Freed, but it was a Philadelphia Phillies to get a 65 win as Max Freed was not himself in this one. He goes five innings, giving up five runs, all of which were earned, including four. Count them, four home runs for the Philadelphia Phillies. Corey Dickerson goes deep twice, his 11th and 12th of the year. Bryce Harper gets his 31st home run of the year. JT Riamuto is 24th. And Scott Kingery is 19th as Jason Vargas wound up giving actually less length than this one, going three innings, giving up four runs, two of which were earned. Needless to say, not ideal there, but... The Philadelphia Phillies bullpen, six innings, and they give up just one run in the process. They did a very good job against a white-eyed Atlanta Braves team. As for the Braves, their home run came off the bat of Johan Camargo, his seventh of the year. And for the Atlanta Braves, bullpen of this team has been really an issue, but in this one, it wasn't too bad. They give up one run over the course of three innings, but needless to say, the Philadelphia Phillies continue to be a team that they're going to give you an all-or-nothing performance. It's really interesting to see what's happening with them. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens with the Milwaukee Brewers moving forward because they get a 4-3 to win over the Miami Marlins, but in the process, Christian Yelich suffers an injury, and he is going to be out for the rest of the year. Needless to say, it's a little bit of doomsday for this team as for the Milwaukee Brewers in this one. They did get a home run, and it wasn't from Christian Yelich. It was from Hernan Perez, his seventh home run of the year as the Brewers Got a, I guess you could call it decent start from Chase Anderson. He winds up going four innings, giving up two runs. Not a lot of length, but the Brewers haven't been having him go deep in general. And then from there, the bullpen, a combined five innings, giving up one run. This because the Miami Marlins, let's face it, have been very, very anemic on offense. This despite the fact that over 60% of their home games have went over. And Eliezer Hernandez, not a great but not an awful start. Five innings pitch. He gives up three runs off, which were earned bullpen from there. Wasn't bad. They give up one run over the course of four innings, so you can't eat there. But 
2 of 11 with Ben in scoring position. The difference in this one, the difference in the Mets versus the Arizona Diamondbacks game was which Zach would pitch better as. Zach Wheeler wound up coming out on top as the Mets get a 3-2 win. As for Wheeler, 7 innings pitch, gives up just one run in the process. Brad Brock of the bullpen gave up a home run, but... That was not enough for the Arizona Diamondbacks as Eduardo Escobar got that home run his 34th of the year. And Zach Allen, not a bad start in this one. Six innings pitch, he gives up three runs off, which were earned bullpen, backed him up with two innings out of the pen. But the Arizona Diamondbacks weren't able to cash in on opportunities, two of eight with men in scoring position. And this is an Arizona Diamondbacks team that all of a sudden is starting to play a couple unders as each of their last four games have went under and now six out of their last seven as well. And the Mets are starting to heat up a little bit themselves as they've been a little bit up and down ever since they had that very big streak. The LA Dodgers have been not quite as good on the road as they have been at home, but when you play the Baltimore Orioles, it's very good to look good on the road as they get a 7-3 win. As for the Baltimore Orioles, they were able to get a home run off the bat of DJ Stewart. That was his first of the year, and that was really the lone highlight. As for the LA Dodgers, they were able to get a trio of home runs. Corey Seager was able to go deep twice in this one. His 15th and 16th home run of the year. And then it was the young buck for the Dodgers who had been struggling a little bit early in Gavin Lux. That gets his first home run of the year, so that was good for them and for Walker Beeler. He's not been as effective on the road as he has been at home. His ERA is a full point higher on the road, but in this one, seven innings pitch, does not give up a single earned run. He gets 11 punch outs, and then from there, the bullpen does give up three runs over the course of two innings, only two of which were earned, though. And for the Baltimore Orioles, Ty Block blocked you from being able to get to the window if you had a Baltimore Orioles ticket. He got seven outs. He gave up six runs, all of which were earned. Got to give it to the bullpen. They wind up going six and two-thirds innings. They give up one run in the process, so needless to say, they did their job. But, man, the Baltimore Orioles just continue to be a team that you really can't back. The Minnesota Twins with Jose Barrios in August was a team that you could not back, but September is a new month, and he was terrific as the Twins get a 5-0 win. For Mr. Barrios, only four strikeouts, but over the course of seven innings, he gives up just two hits, and the Minnesota Twins bullpen has been looking better in recent weeks. They go a combined two innings, not giving up a single earned run, and the Twins got all their scoring in the final two innings, and it was highlighted by Mitch Garver home run, his 30th of the campaign. That's four home runs in four days for him as Anibal Sanchez. Well, he gave a good start in this one. Seven innings pitch. He gives up two runs, both of which were earned. And then the Washington Nationals bullpen, which is in the bottom five of the big leagues with regards to ERA. They reared their ugly head, giving up three runs over the course of one inning. That was not getting the job done. And for the Minnesota Twins, what is getting the job done for them is playing a whole bunch of unders as... Each of their last eight games have went under. The Texas Rangers are a team that's been playing a lot of unders as well. Ever since the beginning of August, they've seen just 11 of their games go over, and they played another under on Tuesday as the Tampa Bay Rays get a 5-3 win over the Texas Rangers. For Ryan Yarbrough, this is actually a bad start for him. Seven innings pitch, he gave up three runs, all of which weren't including a home run, all in all. For most pitchers, that'd be pretty decent, but for him, it wasn't necessarily what he's used to, as Nick Solak was able to get that home run his third of the campaign, but the Tampa Bay Rays played two runs in the eighth inning to be able to get the game to extra innings, and they win it in the 11th, as Austin Meadows was able to hit the home run in the eighth inning that extended it. His 29th of the campaign is for the Texas Rangers. They once again get a great start from Lance Lynn. He has been absolutely flawless at home, 9-1 record. His ERA at home right around a 3-7, considering he pitches at Globe Life. That's very impressive. But the bullpen, they wind up going a combined four innings. They do give up four runs, but only two of which were earned. The team was hurt by a trio of errors, and ironically enough, the reliever that came in and gave up those two unearned runs in Emmanuel Clase, he committed both the errors. Why are these marked as unearned runs when it's the pitcher creating the errors? It's something 
I will never understand for the life of me, but with that said, the Tampa Bay Rays continue to be hot as they have now won six straight games and 11 out of their last 12. Needless to say, the White Sox and the Kansas City Royals are not on that sort of a streak, but the White Sox were able to get a 7-3 win over the Kansas City Royals. As for the Royals, Jacob Junis, the bad version of him, showed up in this one. Five innings pitch gives up five runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs, and then the bullpen from there gives up two runs over the course of three innings. As for the White Sox, they were able to supply a little bit of boom in this one as Adam Engel gets his third home run of the year. Yohan Moncada is 23rd, and Eloy Jimenez is 25th as Ivan Nova, who had been getting shelled recently. He gave up 10 runs in his last two starts. A little bit better. This isn't the same Ivan Nova that was giving up 200 runs or fewer in his previous seven starts before those bad two, but in this one, five and two-thirds innings gives up three runs, all of which were earned, and the White Sox bullpen, which I continue to tell you is pretty good, three and a third innings. They don't give up a single earned run, and for the Kansas City Royals, the real bright spot in this one was the fact that they did get three home runs off of Mr. Nova. Ryan O'Hearn is 12th of the year. Adalberto Mondesi is 8th, and Alex Gordon is 13th. But problem was, all three of them were solo home runs, and the team could not generate any offense from there, as the Kansas City Royals certainly are on a little bit of a downslope. And this might be the craziest series that we've seen all year long, as after losing by more than two touchdowns a day before, the Oakland A's wind up knocking off the Houston Texans as the Raiders get 21, the Texans 7. This is a baseball score, ladies and gentlemen. Ace 21, Astros 7. I'm not sure what happened, but the Oakland A's were just playing a whole bunch of home run derby. Matt Olson is 30th and 31st home runs of the year. Marcus Simeon is 27th. Chris Davis is 20th. You also had... Sean Murphy getting into the act, his second and third home runs of the year. And for the Oakland A's, the pitching for them wasn't necessarily nails. Tanner Rorick, five and two-thirds innings, he's up five runs, all of which were earned, including three home runs himself. Daniel Magnan came in for a three-inning save. He gave up two runs in the course of three innings. As for the Houston Astros, they went deep in this low end as well as Martin Maldonado, guy that hasn't been hitting too well this year. His 10th and 11th home runs of the year. And George Springer, his 32nd and 33rd home run of the year. Wade Miley has now given up 12 earned runs while recording one out in his last two starts. That's got to be some sort of a first. I don't remember ever seeing anything like that. And then from there, Fran Valdez, who was listed as the starter when I was doing touch a ball, wound up going four innings in relief. He gave up two runs as a bullpen in general, which came in with the best ERA in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break. They wind up having to go eight and two-thirds innings, and, well, they heightened that bullpen. They heightened that ERA, giving up 14 runs, all of which were earned. Needless to say, a little bit of an outlier result. Here's also an outlier result. Chichi Gonzalez gets a win for the Colorado Rockies. 2-1 to the final in this one. The Rockies had been 0-9 in Chichi Gonzalez's start so far this year. And in this one, he goes six innings, giving up just one run. The bullpen from there, which has been the worst in the big leagues with regards to ERA ever since the All-Star break. Three innings, and they don't give up a single earned run. As for the St. Louis Cardinals, they just had nothing going on in this one. One of eight with men in scoring position. And Michael Waka, not a bad start in this one. Four innings pitch. He gives up two runs, both of which were earned. They haven't been using him too extensively. And the St. Louis Cardinals with the Astros bullpen imploding on Tuesday. They now have the best bullpen ERA in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break. They go a combined four innings, not giving up a single earned run. So they certainly did their job, but the offense was just a no-show in this one. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, this is a team that has now won 21 out of their last 29 games. So needless to say, they've been hot. They just weren't able to get anything going on. The San Francisco Giants run line continues to hate me as they wind up winning by a count of 5-4 after winning by a count of 5-0. to zero. Yes, I am hearing
going by grievances right now on that run line as Josh Bell winds up getting his 37th home run of the year in the eighth inning and a San Francisco Giants bullpen that ranked in the top five of the big leagues with regards to ERA coming into this night. Well, they wind up going combined four innings, giving up four runs, all of which were earned, but got to be encouraged by Johnny Cueto. His first start since seemingly dinosaurs roamed the earth goes five innings. He gives up just one hit. He looked absolutely magnificent. And for the Giants, they were really able to get to Mitch Keller as Stephen Voigt was able to get his ninth homer on the year. For the Giants, they wind up getting five runs off of Mitch Keller, who in five innings gave up all five of them, including that home run. Bullpen from there was good. Clay Holmes and Francisco Lariano combined three innings of hitless baseball. But I will stop venting about my run line and focus now on the Cleveland Indians and the LA Angels game as the Cleveland Indians just completely took it to the Angels. Eight to nothing, the final. Mike Trout was out of the lineup once again, and it showed as the Angels were able to mount four hits against Zach Plesak. Zach Plesak entered into this game with an ERA just below a three. 9-5, and he winds up going a complete game for hitter. He had a fielding independent north of five. Needless to say, that'll probably go down, and for the Cleveland Indians, they did have their offense going on in this one. Francisco Lindor, his 30th home run of the year, and Jordan Luplo, his 12th, as for the LA Angels. Jose Suarez, once again, an awful start. Three innings pitch. He gives up six runs, all, all of which were earned. He has went past five innings in just one start slash bulk appearance ever since June. Why this guy is still being brought out there is unbeknownst to me, but for the Angels, a team that ranks in the bottom five in the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA ever since the beginning of the month of August. Actually, not a bad showing for them. They wind up going a grand total of six innings. They give up two runs in the process, so they were able to do their job. Needless to say, without Mike Trout, they are not the same team. And then you also had the Boston Red Sox going north of the border against the Toronto Blue Jays and falling by a count of 4-3. to three. This is a Boston Red Sox team that actually is 10 games above 500 on the road, but has a losing record at home. And wasn't really the fault of the bullpen in this one. The bullpen winds up going four and two-thirds innings, giving up one run. But Nathan Eovaldi, who they've been stretching out as a starter, four and a third innings, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs for the Toronto Blue Jays. This is a team that, in their starting lineup, had just three guys with a batting average above a 230, but they were able to get a trio of home runs. Reese McGuire, his fifth of the campaign. Browdy Telez is 18th, and then Kavan Biggio is 13th, as the Toronto Blue Jays, by the way, generated those runs while going 0 for 7 with men in scoring position and leaving 10 on base, but TJ Zeech, not necessarily the start that they wanted from him, 4 and a third innings, he gives up 3 runs, all of which were earned. How about the bullpen from there, though? Giving up a combined 2 hits over the course of four and two-thirds innings. And for the Boston Red Sox, they were able to get a home run off the bat uh, off the bat of Mookie Betts, his 28th of the campaign. And the Red Sox all of a sudden have been playing quite a few unders as well as eight of their last nine games have went under. So you're noticing a lot of American League teams playing a whole lot of unders right now. The Cincinnati Reds have not been the same team whenever Trevor Bauer's been out there on the mound as they lose another one when he's pitching. Four to three, the final in this one as Trevor Bauer winds up actually giving a good start in this one. He had really been a struggling going into this one as he goes six and a third innings, giving up two runs, both of which were earned. Both of those were solo home runs, but then the bullpen of the Reds gives up two runs while recording just five outs. This is a Reds bullpen that ranks in the bottom ten of the big leagues with regards to ERA ever since the All-Star break. As for the Seattle Mariners, going yard in this one was Kyle Seeger, his 22nd of the year. Dylan Moore was able to get his eighth of the campaign, and then a guy I had never heard of before in my life winds up getting his first career home run, Kyle Lewis. So, good for Kyle Lewis, and 
Good for the Seattle Mariners pitcher Justice Sheffield as he gave a tremendous start. This is a prospect that I've heard of. Six innings pitch. He gives up seven hits, but only one earned run was able to limit the damage. The Seattle Mariners wind up giving up two runs over the course of three innings out of the bullpen, but Justice Sheffield, I'm sure that our man Christian Bean is going to be talking about him in the next segment, but he looked absolutely terrific, and for the Cincinnati Reds, they were able to get a home run in this one, and it was actually a pinch hit home run off the bat of Brian O'Grady. That was his first of the campaign as for the Cincinnati Reds. This is just a team that is currently struggling on the road as their road record now. 27-42, and 42, and it's pretty comparable to that of the Chicago Cubs who entered into Tuesday with a road record of 30-42. and 42. This game is still going on, but I have to post this by midnight as the Chicago Cubs have somehow, someway, Roared back from being down by a count of 6-2 to to tie this game up at 8-8. By the way, going into this game, the San Diego Padres had scored 4 runs or fewer in 18 out of their last 21 games. And this all of a sudden has turned into a slugfest as the Chicago Cubs have a couple home runs to their credit. Jason Hayward has went deep twice. His 20th... His 20th and 21st home runs of the year. And Chris Bryant goes deep for his 27th and 28th as one Ronald Bolanos winds up giving up two of those home runs. Five innings pitch. He gives up five runs, all of which were earned. And then a San Diego Padres bullpen that was thought to have positive regression. Their fielding independent is actually better than their ERA. They have so far went three innings, giving up three runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs. And for the Padres, they were able to get a home run themselves. Ty France was able to get his sixth of the year as... It was not a good start for Mr. Jose Quintana as he went three innings, giving up six runs, four of which were earned. Bullpen of the Cubs has actually been very good, though. In five innings, they've given up two earned runs. People don't know this, but the Chicago Cubs bullpen, actually in the top ten of the big leagues with regards to ERA, and ever since the All-Star break, has actually been pretty good. They're without Craig Kimbrell right now, and actually I think that that's a little bit of a positive for them as Craig Kimbrell all year long has not necessarily been great. You can tell that he's not his full self. So it is one of those situations I think is interesting, so we'll see how that shakes out. But what did we all learn from baseball on Tuesday is the question. The New York Yankees continue to play overs on the road. Meanwhile, the wholesale approach might not necessarily be working whenever you have Luis Sessa and Nestor Cortez Jr. out there. Max Freed may be the most profitable pitcher out there in the big leagues, but he certainly is giving up a couple runs whenever he faces off against the Philadelphia Phillies. Seems to be a little bit of a bugaboo team for him. Walker Buehler seems to be doing a better job of giving road starts for the LA Dodgers, and Ty Block is blocking you from getting to, to the window if you're backing him. The Boston Red Sox continue to get good bullpen pitching, but the Toronto Blue Jays, they too are able to generate some power. Though the Milwaukee Brewers got a win, they suffered the ultimate loss on Tuesday of Christian Yelich. Jose Barrios might be back after a really bad August. Meanwhile, the Washington Nationals bullpen continues to be not good. Lance Lynn continues to be a very good starter at home for the Texas Rangers. Meanwhile, Ryan Yarbrough continues to be terrific in the Tampa Bay Rays bullpen. Well, it's better than that of the Texas Rangers. Ivan Nova continues to be profitable. He's actually one of the top three most profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues. You've made over $900 if you bet $100 on every one of his starts. The Oakland A's and Houston Astros series is one that is very, very hard to predict right now, but right now, Coors field unders are being very profitable ever since the beginning of the month of August. Over 70% of games at Coors have went under. The San Francisco Giants might be finally starting to get some good starts out of Johnny Cueto. Meanwhile, the bullpen certainly is regressing after they sold off so many pieces at the trade deadline. 
Perhaps Zach Plesak can be an asset for the Cleveland Indians and the offense is firing all cylinders. Meanwhile, the Angels not generating any offense with Mike Trout out of the lineup. Justice Sheffield looking like a stud for the Seattle Mariners. Meanwhile, the Cincinnati Reds, they don't have a lot of studs in that bullpen and the Chicago Cubs really playing some wild games on the road right now. So that is what we all learned from Major League Baseball on Tuesday. Now let's turn the page forward to Wednesday. Let's take a look at prospecting in general and let's just get the mindset of Christian Pina and how he handicaps games with looks at split. That is coming up next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And we are back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in MLB Las Vegas. It is always great to have on our next guest. This is a man that does a great job of betting the MLB board, but he does a whole lot more than that. This is a guy that is really looking at the weeds of football as well as UFC as well. This is a man that handicaps a little bit of everything, and he does a great job of it. He is also a part of the Gambling Podcast Network doing the Inside Vegas podcast. A very good listen, by the way. And you can find this man on Twitter, at Christian Pina, as it is. A man whose Twitter handle matches up with his name quite well. Christian Pina joining me. And Christian, how are you today? Good, man. We're in the, kind of the dog days of summer of Major League Baseball betting. We have prospects coming up, not to mention NFL and NCAA. People like to think of, of different times as, you know, what is the busiest time for betting, whether it's March Madness or whatever. For my money, man, it's really the end of August, the beginning of September. When you think about it, you have, uh, you know, college football, you have NFL, you have UFC, Major League Baseball, and it just does not stop. It is a very full month of betting. I do agree with you there. And it is full of September call-ups as well. And Christian, part of the reason why I wanted you on this podcast is because I know that you do a tremendous job of being able to look at so many of these guys that are coming up, the September call-ups, guys that were at the AA and AAA level, or a couple guys that are catching your eye that you think might have a little bit of value this year. Because what I noticed with some of these call-ups is that they get called up with a lot of hype, but it's really for 2020 and beyond. They're just not there yet. And then some of these guys are a little bit off the beaten path. They wind up being very good just right at the outset. Yeah. And again, the reason that I you know kind of go so hard into the AAA markets amongst other things is that depending on what league it, you know a player can come up from, sometimes the numbers don't tell the story. You look at you know a guy like Sheffield for the Mariners, who was kind of the crown jewel to Sheffield, who you know, kind of sent Paxton there playing in the PCL, which historically, as you know, some people may know out there is probably the hardest league in all at any level to pitch in baseball as, as, as a whole. And so he goes down to AA, he's elite as he was before. And so you have to really, you know, kind of watch those games and see what's going on and kind of largely you know a pitcher can in my mind have a great outing while giving up seven runs in a PCL so you have to kind of look around at that but when it comes to kind of you know this season in particular's impact I think you have to look towards the Oakland Athletics you look at Jesus Lazardo coming up making one of his first career starts won't be available basically until Wednesday but you know this is really the time of year where you can you know kind of go through this and see who you know maybe you know will be ready who won't be whether they're going to be in the bullpen you know a guy like Forrest Whitley could potentially in the playoffs kind of utilize that you know Julio Urias role from a couple years ago, despite the fact that he too is struggling. I, I said this at the beginning of the year. I, I think that the Astros window was closing a little bit quicker than people thought. And with this farm system, having Alvarez come up, you have Forrest Whitley if Cole leaves in free agency. There's so many out there. And again, you know, a couple of crown jewels that are coming up. I don't know that we'll see them this year. Casey Mize is, you know, supposed to be one of, you know, 
basically the next Justin Verlander, Mackenzie Gore, who is the Padres' number one prospect. And look, the Padres' farm system is probably the best in baseball, bar none, as we've seen time and time again. But for me, it's really looking at those undervalued spots, guys like a Zach Gallen that is consistently lined as an underdog that really provides an incredible amount of value there as well. And so position players and pitchers, you know, I really try to stick towards the pitching aspect of things, basically up until futures of next season. So to me, it's all about pitchers. And so I would look at the Padres, the Athletics, even the Mariners who called up just four players out of their top 30. So the kids are coming up and on their way for sure. I do agree with you as we've got Christian Pina of the Inside Vegas podcast joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And I know that you've been very bullish all year long on a guy that, well, he's not a prospect, but he's been very solid for the Cincinnati Reds. Sonny Gray is going to be going up against Marco Gonzalez on Wednesday. I think it's very interesting that this opens up with Sonny Gray right around a minus 135 favorite. I feel like he's been undervalued all year long. As we both know, the Cincinnati Reds bullpen has not been the same ever since the All-Star break, but Sonny Gray has been liked out. And Marco Gonzalez, in his own right, probably the lone pitcher of the Seattle Mariners where you can look at being able to take him because he's been pretty decent. The rest of the Mariners, it hasn't actually been going so well, and I'm seeing a total of eight. What do you make out of this one? Because I do like Sonny Gray in this spot once again. Yeah, I think that the the narrative on Gray coming into this year was so obvious, right? It was almost a lazy take, but it's the truth. And some guys just, you know, kind of, you know, quote unquote, crack under the big lights. That's why I thought a guy like Grinky coming over to Houston and pitching in games that matter again would be one of the most fascinating moves in this, you know, kind of, you know, tail end of the season. But you look at what Gray has done, the narrative of, you know, Drew Pomerantz maybe finding himself as well and Sonny Gray getting out of those bright lights. And all of a sudden you look up and the Reds are in games started by him. Gonzalez did have, you know, a little bit of luck along the way. I don't say luck, but they are just about 500, I believe, 16 and 14 in his starts as well. So Sonny Gray is traditionally someone that you like to back in these no pressure situations and he's really returned to form. 10 and 6 record, 181 strikeouts in those 157 innings. He is really, really, you know, in the Sonny Gray of old. Once he got out of those bright lights, couldn't agree with you more for the road team in this one with Gray. Yeah, it's been one of those situations where there are some teams that they've just not been performing well overall, but they have that one backable pitcher in Sonny Gray and I do feel like the narrative on this next team is one in which you have one backable pitcher in Matthew Boyd, but I just don't like what I've seen out of Matthew Boyd. Now, this guy gets a whole bunch of strikeouts and everything like that, but ever since the beginning of the month of June, I think he's had three starts in which he's given up fewer than three earned runs. He's given up nearly three home runs per nine innings, and he's going up against a New York Yankees team that... You got CC Sabathia on the mound. This guy has been giving it up as well. He's given up right around two and a half home runs per nine innings. So it's coming off the injured list. It's been absolutely awful. Tom, this game is nine and a half. The Tigers are right around a plus 180-ish underdog. I don't think there's a whole lot appealing from the side perspective. Probably be looking at the Yankees just because they obviously have a better bullpen. But the total of nine and a half, this is one where I'm taking a look at the total. And I'm saying that this game goes over. Yeah, here's the thing. Uh, this is a really bad matchup for the Detroit Tigers. They are just about the worst team in baseball, one through nine against left-handed pitching. I mean, striking out at above a 25% clip. And again, over the last 30 days, that's even higher, upwards of 27%. So whether you're a Sabathia fan or, or not, or think he's kind of, you know, lost it and is just kind of out there to, to finish out this season, playing the bullpen in the playoffs, whatever it is. To me, this is just a really bad matchup for Detroit. I would worry about that over just because I don't know that Detroit is going to be able to exploit what's Sabathia is struggling with just because their bats cannot find a home against left-handed pitching this year. Oh, the Detroit Tigers haven't been able to find a home against any pitching. Let's be honest here as Christian Pita is joining me right here on the podcast. It's been a bad year. I actually have a friend that works social media for the Detroit Tigers and man, heart goes out to her. It's not been a good year and 
It's been a really interesting year for Joe Musgrove as well. We're seeing the Pirates and the Giants game for Wednesday right around a pick. Joe Musgrove is one of the biggest mysteries to me. I don't know what you made out of him, but it's one of these situations where you're either going to get good Joe Musgrove and he's going to give you six innings and give up one run, or you're going to get bad Joe Musgrove and he's going to go five innings and give up six runs. And there's just not a whole lot of in-between with this guy. And when you take a look at the splits, he's just as equally inconsistent as at home as he is on the road. Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest parts of my handicapping is I look to kind of find those inefficiencies, right? Why are things happening specifically and find out, you know, the trend data that is, you know, what situations is he excelling at? Is it home, road? Is it a certain type of team? And I'm with you, man, that I can't figure the guy out. You look through his season-long trends. Pirates are 13 and 15 in games that he started, yet the over-under is at a 17 and 10 clip. So he traditionally, I mean, even with his incredible start... You know, people forget out there the, the Pirates, you know, one through five basically was, you know, some of the best in baseball the first three weeks of the season. Basically, everyone's, you know, first three starts, they didn't give up more than I think two runs or something like that. And it was a feat to behold that has obviously come back down to earth, although, you know, Syringes can never be counting out to turn anybody around. I agree with you, man. He, he's just too inconsistent. And when I can't find the reasons for things happening, uh, that's definition of variance and type of things that I just stay away from. And here's something that is much easier to identify. Glenn Sparkman and his road struggles. At home, he's actually not a terrible pitcher. Right around a four ERA. That has certainly been climbing as his recent road starts have not been good. But on the road, ERA approaching nine. He's going to be going up against one Ronaldo Lopez of the Chicago White Sox. And Lopez certainly has not had the greatest of starts either. But at minus 155 here with the Chicago White Sox, plus 145 on the Kansas City Royals. This team is just not backable with Glenn Sparkman on the road. I mean, I'll let you prove me wrong if you really want me, if you really want to, but this is a spot where I just can't be taking a look at the Kansas City Royals. No, and, and I know that he's been okay at home, but, you know, truthfully, I couldn't back him in either situation. Again, the Royals are 5 and 11 in starts that he makes. So you really hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, you're paying a little premium for a guy who is, you know, not my favorite pitcher in the world in Lopez, sure. Uh, but that one to me, he's just something of an auto fade until he proves me wrong, man. You hit that one right on the head. Absolutely. As we've got Christian Pina joining me right here on the podcast. And I think this one is a little bit more of a toss up. We've got the Arizona Diamondbacks and the New York Mets and Stephen Matz. Ever since the beginning of the month of August has been very good for the Mets. Over his last six starts, he's given up one or two earned runs in each of them, going five-plus innings in every one of them. Meanwhile, Robbie Ray, he was lifted from his last start due to a blister, I believe, on his middle finger after four and a third innings, 85 pitches. Robbie Ray does a great job of getting strikeouts, right around 12 per nine innings. He also does give up the walks and the long ball, but at the same time, he does a good job of being able to limit damage as well. Total on this game is eight. Mets are right around a minus 115 favorite. I think this is one of the more intriguing games on the board, especially with the Diamondbacks going into the series against the Mets having won 11 out of their last 13 games and the Mets being able to take game one of the set. Yeah, you look at this, man, uh, you know, at certain points of the year, there's certain teams that I just won't bet against. And despite, you know, my trends and data that I hold so close and so dear and do so just about every time. I just can't bet against the Mets right now. I know they've cooled off six and four in their last 10. The Nationals also come to mind right now. I just can't do it. I don't like to bet against, you know, teams coming together or hot teams. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Again, not saying that I want to bet on them, but it's just something that's going to keep me off the game. And while I do think it's an intriguing matchup and this series, you know, probably, you know, goes two out of three to one team or, you know, they split the series, whatever it is. I just don't want to get involved very much with Mets games right now. It's just like you were talking about, you know, can't figuring out a guy like Musgrove, this Mets team. I have a feeling if I start zigging, they're going to zag and vice versa with this hot streak. And it's just not something that I really want to get into right now. So I think that one's also going to be a pass for me, but definitely is a little bit of value there with Robbie Ray. 
It certainly is going to be an intriguing one. I actually wrote this up for the New York Post personally, and I highlighted both Mance and Robbie Ray. And the fact that the Mets bullpen has been in the top five in the big leagues with regards to ERA ever since the All-Star break. And I do think that it's very important to ha- for people to not just look at the full year sample size, but take a look at recency as well. Break it down last 30 days. Break it down ever since the All-Star break. Look at those home and road splits as well, because you can look at a guy and be like, Oh, he's got a three ERA. He's got to be terrific. While at the same time, that guy might be like an ERA sub two at home, an ERA north of five at on the road. See Kyle Hendricks. I know it's not the case this year, but Jose Barrios has been one of those guys as well. And I think it's just so important to be going inside the numbers a little bit more rather than just looking at the season in general and just taking the flat surface numbers. I think that making that deep dive is really going to help people out with their handicapping. You're speaking to my philosophy as a whole, man. It warms my heart that you know that too. Look, the why should always be more important than the what. And like I said, you look at a guy like Jack Flaherty, right? And you know, what, 0.56 ERA in the second half this year, yet his ERA just you know below three on the season. Somebody can look at that and say, yeah, good pitcher. No, this guy is the best pitcher in baseball right now. And people need to, you know, see that, you know, he also did that last year, this year in the first half, basically tried to redefine his game for whatever reason. If you look at his, you know, second half of the season last year, he basically had the same second half as Blake Snell. And yet now he's repeating that to be the best pitcher in baseball in the second half. And some guys are historically second half players, you know, a la Goldschmidt. You know, there's tons of these little nuggets out here, guys who historically start slow. Think of all those David Ortiz years where he was hitting 167 and all of a sudden he's hitting 300 by year's end. And again, I know it's different than pitchers, but you have to find out the why and you have to look at, you know, Hendricks is one that you named at it. And there's also going to be those guys that just, you know, no matter what the outside stuff says or how high the ERAs, you look at a guy like Free, in Atlanta, you know, versus a guy like Soroka, run support. Some guys just don't get run support. There's a reason guys like Flaherty are, you know, 82% to the first five under. But you look at a guy like Freed with, what, a 13-4 and four record, whatever it is, with an ERA over four, they just score for him. And you'll see that time and time again. DeGrom obviously comes to mind how many one nothing games that he have. Even last year, you know, 82% of his starts ended 0-0 after five. You know, run support is a very real thing. You know, teams get up to play certain pitchers and face them on the opposite side of the hill. So all those little intricacies, nuances, home road splits, all that type of stuff is really the biggest part of, of handicapping baseball every day. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. And even a game that we were talking about a little bit earlier with the Diamondbacks against the Mets, in Robbie Ray's starts ever since the beginning of the month of August, Diamondbacks are averaging seven and a half runs per game in his starts. So that's something that you always do want to note. And it feels like the St. Louis Cardinals, whenever Dakota Hudson's on the mound, they just seem to score runs for him as well. Dakota Hudson, his last 19 starts for the since for the St. Louis Cardinals, team is 16 and three in them. They're on the road facing off against the Colorado Rockies. This is a Rockies team I just can't get behind, especially with Antonio Sensatella and his 675 ERA. Just not a good spot. I know that a lot of people don't like laying big numbers in baseball. At 145, I don't know if I would call it a big number, but it certainly is a little bit of juice. But I just think that there's so much value here on the St. Louis Cardinals on Wednesday against the Colorado Rockies with the way that the Cardinals are winning Dakota Hudson starts and the way that Antonio Sensatella has just been, well, Antonio Sensatella. Man, this is a good a good day to do this show, man. You're talking about my favorite pitcher in baseball because he defies all logic. He defies all, you know, whatever metrics that you want to use. And the guy just wins. Again, the Cardinals 19 and 8 in his starts. And he just wins. A lot of people may not know this. The the two best, or let's say this, the three most winning pitchers when they start. Herman, 19 and 4. Brandon Woodruff, of all people, 16 and 4. Max Fried, who I talked about, 20 and 6. And then all of a sudden, you look at this, you know, just at the, you know, basically the 10th best pitcher in baseball from a win-loss perspective, which is all we care about when they start. 
19 and 8. I don't care what he does. I don't care that he gets no strikeouts, much like a guy like Woodruff or Freed. Until this proves not profitable. And once you start getting, a, you know, attaching to these guys, you build up that equity and you can ride it out. And, you know, when the aggression comes, if it does at all, that's kind of what has always separated me from the Sabre community or other professionals. I'm not going to bet against guys just because numbers say eventually this fall off is coming. We saw this with Giolito on the positive regression side. No, let's give these guys a year or an off season and then maybe they make changes, you know, either positive or negative and things come around. But until I see it, I am all over Dakota Hudson every fifth day. Absolutely. And it helps that you're growing up against the Colorado Rockies team that, well, this is a team that looks like they have just thrown it in the tanker at this point. And Christian, I know that we've got a very intriguing card on Wednesday. We've got like Braves versus Phillies going on. I mentioned the Diamondbacks versus the Mets. You're going to have a very interesting matchup with the Cubs and the Padres as essentially a pick. Anything really singling out to you? Because I know that you've been doing a great job with your strikeout props. You've been hitting at just an absolutely ridiculous clip all year long. You've been big in the F5 market as well. Anything that you really have a star next to for Wednesday? Yeah, when I look up and down this slate, look, sometimes, you know, the K-prop market is a little bit weird because sometimes things add up. You know, if you have, you know, the specific formula and the, you know, rotation adds up for three straight, maybe I have, you know, two one day and, and one each the next day. And sometimes when it doesn't add up against specific teams that you want to target either under or over, you won't have any. And, you know, when I look at this slate on Wednesday, I think Rhodes Strasburg is you know, one of the best pitchers in baseball. They are historically the Nationals, that is. And again, I, I usually do the first five just because I have to avoid that bullpen at all costs. You know, I'm not sure what that line is going to come out to be, but I think that, you know, Strasburg on the road, much like Hudson, is, is pretty much an auto start. I believe 23 and four dating back his last 25 starts. The Nationals are on the road. So for whatever reason, he gets it done there. And from a strikeout perspective, this one's a little bit dicey. I certainly do not feel the normal level of confidence. I'm kind of, I want to see the number, of course, but I do think a guy if he is left out there to, you know, kind of figure things out for himself would be, you know, Brendan McKay is going today, the Tampa and Texas series. Texas has been very, very bad against left-handed pitching. So if you can get a sneaky lefty in there for Texas, it may be a low number. And as you look up and down this card, you know, teams that I have tried to target in the past, you know, it doesn't really line up for Wednesday, that's for sure. But the only other one that I would like to point out would be the Strasburg on the road one for me. And I think that would be pretty much it. Um, you know, if you want to look to on the underside of things, again, this number is probably going to be incredibly low, but Brett Anderson, look, we just saw Matt Fears or Mike Fires go out there and fire one inning of 1K. Houston has been very, very good this season against both lefties and righties. So if you can get maybe, you know, sneak a three and a half, three in there, but that's one that I had circled. And right now, when you're taking a look at the Washington Nationals, they're right around a minus 132. I'm seeing at William Hill right around minus 138-ish offshore. So I actually do think that there is some tremendous value there. And what else there is tremendous value with is listening to Christian Pina's work. He does a great job with the Sports Gambling Podcast Network, along with his podcast, Inside Vegas. He also does a terrific job of handicapping just a bevy of things. Christian, let the good people at home know where they can get a little bit more of your work, where they can hear you, and where they can get some of your great picks. Yep, as always, everything posted on the Twitter as everything is these days at Christian Pina, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-P-I-N-A. My podcast, the Inside Vegas podcast on the Sports Gaming Podcast Network. You just go to subscribe.vsgpn.com. Different guest every week, breaking down the college football and NFL slates for pretty much the rest of football season. And pretty much, yeah, everything that's going on right now. So hit me up on Twitter if you have any questions. I'm always looking to reach back, give back, and help anyone out along the way that I can. That's absolutely terrific. A big thanks to Christian Pina of the Sports Gambling Podcast Network for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Now it is that time of the podcast. Coming up next, I give you a side in total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board. We do so on something I like to call Touch Them All. 
Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And we're back here in the Zuni Kill Studios for MLB Overtime betting. A big thanks to our man Christian Pino of the Sports Gambling Podcast Network for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the show that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board. And we do so in a little something I like to call touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that all changes that are made to these plays are going to be listed up on my Twitter feed, at GNRSquarty1. With some of these plays, we are all locked in on them, good to go, bet on, everything like that. With some of these games, we are typically waiting on line moves. That's like the reason why I wait on 99.9% of these, but sometimes waiting on lineup changes and other little things like that. As always, for any changes are made and all the numbers I lock in that I don't have locked in on this podcast, check out my Twitter feed at GNRSquarty1 for those. And as per usual, we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. And that starts with 9.51, 9.52 on the Bangor rotation. You've got the Atlanta Braves, and they are going to be hitting the road to face off against the Philadelphia Phillies. Dallas Keuchel goes for the Atlanta Braves. Meanwhile, on the bump for the Phillies, it's going to be Zach Eflin, and we've got a total of 9.5. The over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and even. If you're looking at the Bravos, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 135 and minus 140. Meanwhile, if you're looking for the take back on the Philadelphia Phillies, that's anywhere between plus 125 and plus 130. Both these teams certainly lit up the scoreboard yesterday as the Atlanta Braves Currently have the only lineup in the big leagues that have three guys with 36-plus home runs. It's Josh Donaldson, Ronald Acuna Jr., and Freddie Freeman. In the case, Freddie Freeman. This is a guy with over 110 RBI. He's hitting right around 300. It's been absolutely amazing. With Ronald Acuna Jr. along with Ozzy Albies at the top lineup, they're both hitting between a 280 and a 290. And then along with Josh Donaldson, you do have Dansby Swanson and Brian McCann hitting between a 265 and a 255. You're looking to get something out of some of these other guys, though. Yohan Camargo, Austin Riley, Francisco Cervelli, Billy Hamilton, Adam Duvall, list goes on and on. All these guys are hitting between right around a 210 to a 240. Some of these guys are young rookies. Other of these guys are cast-offs from other teams, so it's going to be interesting to see if the Atlanta Rays are able to get those ancillary producers because the top lineup is absolutely sensational. Meanwhile, for the Philadelphia Phillies, Corey Dickerson, ever since being traded for, has been terrific. 307 batting average, and then you got J.T. Riamito, Gene Segura, Cesar Hernandez, doing a great job of getting on base, hitting between a 280 and a 285. Need something more out of Reese Hoskins with regards to batting average. For the year, he's got a 376 on base, but he's only hitting right around a 236 to go along with his 27 home runs, and he's really been struggling with the power ever since the break, but you've got Bryce Harper, who's starting to eat up. 255 average, 372 on base. He goes eight for his 32nd home run yesterday, 102 RBI, but then you got the guys like Mikel Franco, Sergio Rodriguez, a company that need to pick it up with their bats. With the Atlanta Braves, they've also been getting some very shaky bullpen pitching ever since the All-Star break. This is a team that ranks in the bottom five in the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA. Phillies, meanwhile, have been league average, but their big question is, what is going to be coming of Zach Eflin? Because Zach Eflin, when he was relegated from the starting lineup, was absolutely awful, but in each of his last three starts, he's wound up giving up fewer than three earned runs in every one of them. He has looked very good. Meanwhile, with Dallas Keuchel, this is a guy that 
towards the late July, early August stage, was not looking so good himself, but recently he has been lights out as well. He has given up zero, one, or two earned runs in each of his last five starts. He's actually been getting quite a few strikeouts as well, so he's a guy that's really turning it around as well. I have a little bit more faith here in Dallas Keuchel than I do Zach Eflin, just because when Eflin was bad, he was really bad, and I do have a little bit more of a track record here with Dallas Keuchel. So for that reason... Taking the Braves and this total under. With regards to the under, I saw this open up at 10, down to 9.5. So we're going to see if this ticks back to 10. And with the Braves, I already locked in this money line price. As I saw it at minus 130, it's already ticked up to minus 135. 953, 954 on the bang rotation. The Milwaukee Brewers hit the road to face off against the Miami Marlins. Pablo Lopez goes for the Miami Marlins. Zach Davies for the Milwaukee Brewers. Your total on this game is 8.5. Overs anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Brewers, laying anywhere between minus 145 and minus 152. Plus price here with the Marlins is anywhere between plus 135 and plus 142. And Pablo Lopez just does not look like himself ever since coming off the injured list. His last start was his best, but before going on the injured list, this is a guy that had a fielding independent that was right around a 3 6-5, despite the fact that his ERA was more around a 4-3. His ERA has ballooned up to a 4-7-5 now, but he in his last start against the Royals looked pretty solid, giving up two runs in six and a third innings, and he certainly is giving good length, which is big because the Marlins bullpen as well, the Marlins bullpen, and Zach Davies needs every bit of that Brewers bullpen possible. The Brewers bullpen has been looking much better recently. It's been an up-and-down group all year long, and Davies has been up-and-down all year long as in three out of his last four starts, he's given up two earned runs or fewer for that matter, he wound up going nine and two-thirds innings across two starts against the Cubs, not giving up a single run there. But before then, in four out of his last five starts, he had given up four-plus earned runs. This is a guy that is very, very hard to predict. And with the Milwaukee Brewers, it's hard to predict who's going to be able to step up around Christian Yelich because Christian Yelich, the former Miami Marlin, has been by far the best player on this roster and is a candidate for MVP once again. 44 home runs, over 90 RBI. Guys sitting right around a 331, the top base dealers out there in the big leagues as well. Then you got some guys that have their batting average hovering between, I would say, a 240 and a 260. Trent Grisham, Lorenzo Cain, Mike Moustakis, Yasmani Grandal, Eric Thames, Cody Spangerberg, Hernan Perez, list goes on and on. You could throw in there Ben Gamble as well. You then have Travis Shaw, Orlando Garcia, and Manny Pina all hitting below a 235 for this bunch. So it certainly has been a little bit of a trial by fire there. Meanwhile, for the Miami Marlins, you do have guys that are actually getting on base. Brian Alde, Miguel Rojas, and Garrett Cooper are all guys hitting a 280 or greater. Then you got Jorge Alfaro, Sterling Castro, and Sierra in the outfield hitting above a 260 as well. You even got guys like Harold Ramirez starting to step up. But then you've got Izan Diaz, Austin Dean, Lewis Brinson, Curtis Granderson, need I go on, hitting below the Mendoza line. So clear line of haves and have-nots. And for the Miami Marlins, fewest home runs out there in the National League. So they're not going to be backing up their man Pablo Lopez with a lot of pop. With Brett Anderson Sillard, it certainly is a brutal situation. And I do think that the Milwaukee Brewers are going to have Zach Davies give up a couple runs, but I really think that they're going to be able to get to Pablo Lopez and that bad bullpen. Lopez just not himself ever since coming off the injured list. So looking at the Brewers right now, determining whether to go money line 
line or run line here, so I'm waiting to see mode there. And I'm going to be taking this total over with the over at minus 115 juice. Like to see if it comes down just a little bit so that way I can get a minus 110, but going to be riding up both of those. 955, 956 on the bank rotation. You got the Arizona Diamondbacks in the road to face off against the New York Mets. Stephen Metz goes for the Mets. Robbie Ray for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Your total on this game is 8. Overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Unders between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Mets, minus 115 across the board. D-backs are plus 105. That makes things nice and easy. And what is easy to see is the fact that Steven Matz is doing a very good job for the team I was talking about with Christian Pina. Has given up two earned runs or fewer in each of his last six starts. Has been giving up right around one home run every 12 or so innings in that span as well, so he's done a solid job of keeping the ball in the yard. Meanwhile, Robbie Ray for the year is giving up 1.4 home runs per nine innings. His team has really been scoring for him. In his last six starts, team is 5-1. They've been scoring 7.5 runs per game for him in that span. All in all for the year, Robbie Ray, though, has his walks issue, 4.2 walks per nine innings, and I bet many people don't know this. The New York Mets have the second-best batting average ever since the All-Star break. They're hitting as a collective right around a 283, and that is all led off by Jeff McNeil. Jeff McNeil hitting a 325. He's been a constant for the team on base percentage, just below 400, but then you've got Wilson Ramos, J.D. Davis, and Amit Rosario all hitting above a 320 since the break, and all these guys are hitting, at the very least, a 289, and in the case of J.D. Davis, right around a 310. You then have the matchers, Pete Alonso and Michael Conforto. They're both hitting between a 259 and a 270. Conforto is 20, 29 times, and for Pete Alonso, this is a man that just won't slow down. 46 home runs, 110 RBI. You then have a couple guys that do need to pick it up with the bat, like Juan Lagares, Todd Frazier, Brandon Nimmo. These guys are hitting a 235 or lower, but you also are getting some production out of the bullpen as well. For the New York Mets, top five bullpen ERA in the big leagues ever since he also raked the years on the Diamondbacks bullpen. He's been in the top half of the big leagues, and Robbie Ray is a guy that's coming off a blister injury in his last start as well. You want to note that, but you also want to note that for the years on the Diamondbacks, you've got Cattell Marte and Wilbur Flores doing a great job of getting on base. Both these guys hitting a 315 or higher. This is a team that ranks in the Top eight in the big leagues with regards to home runs per game on the road. And Ketel Marte has 32 of them. You then have a lot of guys that behind them are doing a very good job of getting amazing between a 253 and a 270. And Eduardo Escobar, Christian Walker, Jose Rojas, Adam Jones, Nick Ahmad, Carson Kelly, list goes on and on. Tim LeCastro is also in that mix. And with Eduardo Escobar, he's got 33 over runs on the year. Christian Walker has not been doing a bad job of going yard himself with 25 dingers. You do have Gerard Dyson hitting right around at 240 right now, but he ranks in the top five with regards to stolen bases in the big leagues as well. Alex Avila only in a 310, but on base percentage driving right around 350. And Jake Lamb, been a little bit of a hot mess, but all in all, you do have a formidable lineup, but I do like the way that Steven Matz is pitching. I do think that Robbie Ray is going to be able to keep these guys at bay as well. And the Mets have been playing a lot of unders so far this year. City Field has been very much a pitcher-friendly ballpark, so I do think that these two starting pitchers are going to go at it and this game is going to go under, but I do like the recent form of Mets. I do think that Robbie Ray coming off his injury is a little bit more of a roll of the dice, and I think after that streak in which the Arizona Diamondbacks won 11 out of their last 12, they're coming back to earth. So for that reason, going to ride out the Mets and this total under. I'm seeing the juice coming in on the over a little bit, so I'm going to try to see if I'm able to get even money or an 8.5 on that total. Meanwhile, this line is pretty stagnant. It opened up with the Mets minus 119 down to minus 115, so I'm going to try to see if it gets down to more around minus 110. 9.57, 9.58 on the bank rotation. These St. Louis Cardinals are going to be hitting the road to face off against Colorado Rockies. Antonio Senzatella goes for the Rockies. Dakota Hudson for the St. Louis Cardinals. Draw in this game is 13.5. The over is juice to minus 115 to minus 110. Unders anywhere between minus 
minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the Cardinals, anywhere between minus 147 and minus 155. Plus price here on the Rockies is anywhere between plus 137 and plus 145. Antonio Sensatel is absolutely unbackable. I am right with Christian Pina on this one. The fielding independent of Dakota Hudson is a hot mess, but the team is 16-3 and in his last 19 starts. He's allowed more than three earned runs in just two starts so far this year. He's got the highest ground ball rate out there in the big leagues as well. That is why he's had so much success, and I should say, of qualified starting pitchers. And for Dakota Hudson, he's given up right around 1.2, 1.3 home runs per nine innings. The walks are a bit hefty. He's given up more than four walks per nine innings, but... Take a look at Antonio Sensatella. I said that his ERA was a 675. That's being generous, as that was going into a few starts ago. He's now 8 10, 7 1 9 ERA. He has given up at least five earned runs in every one of his starts ever since the end of June. From July until now, he has given up at least five earned runs in every start, and he's backed up by the worst bullpen out there in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break in the Colorado Rockies. Meanwhile, with the St. Louis Cardinals, you don't necessarily have those guys that are absolutely mashing, but at the same time, you've got a trio of Paul Goldschmidt, Marcel Ozuna, and Paul DeYoung that all have between 29 and 26 home runs, and in the case of Ozuna, Paul Goldschmidt, along with Dexter Fowler, Paul DeYoung, these guys are all in between a 244 and a 260. You then have Colton Wong, Tommy Edmond, Yadier Molina, all hitting between a 274 and a 286, which is good for this team. You need more out of guys like Matt Carpenter, Harrison Bader, and company. These guys are hitting a 225 or lower, but you do have to like the fact that Tyler O'Neill has been doing a solid job of getting on base. Meanwhile, for the Colorado Rockies, Charlie Blackman, Trevor Story, and Nolan Arenado really is the offense at this point. All these guys hitting between a 296 and a 318. Story has 30 home runs, 20 stolen bases, Blackman 27 dingers, and then Arenado 108 RBI, 37 home runs. You then have Ryan McMahon and Ian Desmond both hitting right around a 260. Romeo Tapia, Daniel Murphy, and Tony Welters between a 271 and a 281. From there, you've got guys like Sam Hilliard, Jonathan Diaz, guys like that that are hitting below a 220. And with Chichi Gonzalez going yesterday, the bullpen is cast as is. I do think that this is a total that's going to stay under because Dakota Hudson has been very solid and he has been getting the balls to go on the ground. A very good combination of crews because when the ball gets in the air, that's when the real danger comes. So I do think that this total is going to go under, but I think that the Cardinals are just going to completely outman the Rockies in this one. Going to be going with the Cardinals. Have already locked in that money line in Wayne C mode on the under. 959-960 on the bank rotation. You've got the Pittsburgh Pirates setting the road to face off against the San Francisco Giants. And wow, this game just went off the board because we were talking with our good buddy Christian Pina about Joe Musgrove going. Well, Joe Musgrove has been scratched from this game as it's going to be Dario Agrizal going for the Pittsburgh Pirates against Logan Webb of the San Francisco Giants. That changes a little bit of things as this game is presently off the board. When we were seeing it last, the total was eight and it was essentially a pick'em game. With anchors, although, I think that you might be getting a little bit of a plus price here with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And what we do know about the San Francisco Giants is that they're not quite the same team at home as they are on the road, as weird as it is to say. The San Francisco Giants on the road, a couple games above 500 at home, 30 and 39. And as a favorite on the run line, 10 and 17, the San Francisco Giants are. And the Pittsburgh Pirates are actually a team that on the road are not necessarily awful, 32 and 40. They're very similar at home. For Agrizal, this is a guy that does a good job of being able to keep things out in front of him. Towards the month of late July, early August, he was giving up some runs, but for the most part, he's been giving up three earned runs or fewer in most of his starts. Meanwhile, with Logan Webb, he got completely destroyed in his last start against the 
St. Louis Cardinals. He had been looking good before then, and then he got completely exploited. I think that could be the case in this one, as in the minor leagues, he was actually very good. But for the Pittsburgh Pirates, if a lot of guys are getting on base, Kevin Newman's hitting above a 310, Brian Reynolds more in the neighborhood of a 330, then you've got a lot of guys hitting in that realm of, I would say, a 280 and a 295. Josh Bell, Melky Cabrera, Paul Moran, along with Sterling Marte, are all in that neighborhood. And Adam Frazier is hitting at 279, so he's right there. Got a couple guys like Cole Tucker and Eric Gonzalez are hitting a 220 or lower, but you do have Jacob Sellings getting on base. He's hitting right around to 270. Jose Ozuna more in the realm of a 260. The big key for the Pirates is getting some pop because Josh Bell for the year has been able to belt out some home runs, but he's really slowed down ever since the All-Star break, along with Sterling Marte. Sterling Marte right around 25 home runs, 20 plus home bases, and Josh Bell 114 RBI and 36 home runs, but that was mostly first-half production. Meanwhile, you take a look at the San Francisco Giants, you are starting to get some pop from this team as Mikey Strumsky, along with Evan Longoria and Kevin Pillar are all guys that have between 18 and 21 home runs, and they're only between a 259 and a 270, so that has been encouraging. You've also got a few guys that need to pick it up in Brandon Crawford and Brandon Belt. They're both hitting in the realm of a 225 to a 230, though for Belt, he does have 16 home runs. You then also have Austin Slater out there in the outfield. He's hitting right around a 270, and Mauricio Dubin has actually been a nice find. He's hitting a 286, so all in all, you do have a couple guys that are doing a decent job for the San Francisco Giants. If this total would be eight once again, I'd be looking at it over, and I'd be looking at the Pittsburgh Pirates in the spot, expecting a little bit of a plus price, but check back in the morning on my Twitter feed, at GNRS41 for set plays there. Game 961, 962 on the banging rotation. It is the San Diego Padres playing host the Chicago Cubs. Cole Hamels goes for the Cubs. Chris Paddock for the Padres. This game is essentially a pick. If you're looking at the Padres getting anywhere between even a minus 105. Meanwhile, the Cubs anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. And the total is 8 over and under, both at minus 110. That makes things nice and easy. And what is a little bit easier about making this selection is the fact that Chris Paddock did wind up going out in his last start and looking very good. Meanwhile, Cole Hamels just has not been himself ever since coming off the injured list. Prior to going on the injured list, he had given up more than three earned runs in just one start this year. Ever since then, he's given up more than three earned runs in three starts ever since the beginning of the month of August. So things not going well there. Meanwhile, with Chris Paddock, his first four starts in the month of August, he'd given up three plus earned runs in all four of them. In his last two starts, though, he has went and combined about 12 innings, giving up one earned run. So that has been very key. You do want to know with the San Diego Padres that going into Tuesday, they had scored four earned runs or fewer in 18 out of their last 21 games. So certainly things are not looking up there, but for the Chicago Cubs, you're also dealing with a bunch of infield injuries with guys like Addison Russell and Javi Baez dealing with their ailments. But you do have Ben Zobris, who's now back at the fold. He's hitting right around a 260. He came back at a very critical time. Meanwhile, you got Chris Bryant, Nick Cassianos, and Anthony Rizzo, all in between a 279 and a 293. And all three of these guys, between 25 and 26 home runs, Wilson Contreras, 21 dingers, sitting right around a 285. Jason Award has seen a little bit of a come up with his average back to a 250. Then you got David Bodie hitting right around a 260 as well. He's been decent. And Kyle Schwarber, though, he's hitting just a 234. 35 home runs, so he certainly has not been lacking there. Meanwhile, the Padres are lacking a lot of contact as you got a lot of guys on the scene that are hitting a 230 or lower. Ian Kinsler and Renfro are currently out of the lineup, but they're both in that neighborhood along with Ty France. Luis Areas and Austin Hedges along with Tim Janikowski. So, big long list there. You've got Manuel Margot and Will Myers hitting between a 238 and a 243. 
And in the case of Hunter Renfro, he did have 31 home runs, but he's currently not a guy that you can rely upon with him not being in the lineup. You then have Greg Garcia hitting right around at 250. Eric Hosmer has been the top RBI guy, 92 RBI, 20 home runs, 280 batting average. Manny Machado is hitting right around 265 with 29 niggers. And Nick Martini hitting a little bit above a 300 himself. So he certainly has been able to do his job. And for these bullpens, they've both been very solid recently. They're both right around 15 to 10-ish in regards to ERA in the big leagues. But I really like what I'm seeing out of the Cubs bullpen. And I figured that there would be some positive regression coming in for the Padres bullpen. That certainly has been the case. But I think that Paddock gives a better start here than Cole Hamels. And I do think that Cole Hamels is going to get lit up a little bit. So for that reason, going to be taking this total over. I do think that the Padres are eventually going to score more than four earned runs in a game. Why not now? And with the Padres looking at that even number, trying to see if it goes to a little bit of a plus number, but we're going to be firing on both of those. 963 and 964 on the bang rotation. You got the New York Yankees in the road to face off against the Detroit Tigers. Matthew Boyd goes for the Tigers. CC Sabathia for the Yankees. Your total on this game is 9.5. Over Zeus of minus 115. The unders minus 105. If you're looking at the Yankees, laying anywhere between minus 195 and minus 210. Meanwhile, your plus price here on the Detroit Tigers, anywhere between plus 175 and plus 185. I have no idea why people continue to say Matthew Boyd is good. Yes, it is nice that he has 12 strikeouts, but ever since the beginning of the month of June, the team has won three out of his 18 starts. He's giving up nearly three home runs per nine innings, and his ERA is right around six. It's absolutely a hot mess. But you know what else is a hot mess? CC Sabathia. I don't think the Yankees have won a single one of his starts ever since really the beginning of the month of July. I think they maybe won one start in the month of August, but this is a guy that as well is giving up right around 2.4 home runs per nine innings, right around 3.4 walks per nine. But here's the thing with the New York Yankees, and Christian Pino went through it very well. For one, lefties are faring very well with regards to their pitching against the Detroit Tigers, and again, everyone is. And for two, he's backed up by so many guys who are able to drive the ball out of the yard. You got Glaber Torres hitting right around at 288. His home run count for the year is at a 36. You then have Edwin Encarnacion and Gary Sanchez, both with between 33 and 35 home runs. Edwin Encarnacion hitting at 242, Gary Sanchez at 233, but Encarnacion's on base percentage hovering right around a 341. Brett Gardner is getting it going. He went deep yesterday. He and Didi Gregory is hitting in that realm of a 250. You now have Clint Frazier getting some at bats. You got to think that after some rest yesterday, DJ LeMahieu and Gio Urshel and their averages above a 320 are going to be in there. Aaron Judge got a day off yesterday. He is going to be in the fold. Mike Ford, whenever you need him, he's getting some home runs. So this is just a loaded lineup. Meanwhile, the Detroit Tigers. Well, it is the opposite of a loaded lineup, though. It is nice to have Christian Stewart back in the fold. He, along with Darwell Lugo and Travis Samurai, turning between a 234 and a 244. You have Victor Reyes doing a great job of getting on base as well. He's hitting a 310, and then Harold Castro and Miguel Cabrera are both hitting right around a 290. But then you've got Grayson Griner, Jaimir Candelario, Gordon Beckham, Roddy Rodriguez, Jordan Hicks, need I go on, hitting a 220 or lower. I will say, though, Jordy Mercer hitting a 270. That's a little bit of a nice find. And for the Detroit Tigers, this is a team that, well, they used nearly their entire bullpen yesterday, which means that you're going to see a lot of the Cubs, and they're probably not very good at pitching. Meanwhile, the Yankees, you got a much more of a lights-out bullpen with guys like Tommy Camely, Adam Adovino and company. Now, they obviously had to blow through their bullpen 
as well, but they've got much better depth in the bullpen. This is a spot where I do think that both these starters are going to get lit up, and I think that it's going to cause for a whole lot of bad bullpen pitching, and I think that the Yankees' offense is going to be able to allow them to win this game on the run line. So looking at that at minus 130, and I think that 9.5, nowhere near enough runs for this total. Going to be taking that over as well, but in Wayne Simo trying to get better numbers on both. We move on to 965-966 on the banging rotation. You've got the Boston Red Sox hitting the road face-off against the Toronto Blue Jays. Tron Thornton goes for the Jays. Meanwhile, you least just seen for the Boston Red Sox. Your total on this game is 10.5. Under Zeus minus 120, the over is even. If you're looking at the Red Sox, laying anywhere between minus 145 and minus 146. Plus price here on the Jays is anywhere between plus 130 and plus 136. You least just seen in his last start with the Boston Red Sox. Won a whopping two innings with the Milwaukee Brewers. He was a little bit of a failure. ERA was hovering right around his six. He was giving up a whole bunch of walks. Meanwhile, with the Toronto Blue Jays, Trent Thornton is a guy that is very, very streaky. Five, four, and nine on the year. His ERA has approached right around five. He does have some good swing and miss stuff, but you just don't know what you're going to get from him game to game. In his last start against the Tampa Bay Rays, he gave up just one run over the course of four and two-thirds innings. He did give up one run in six innings against the Yankees earlier, but in the month of August, in four out of his last five starts, he gave up three earned runs or more in all but one of them, and he went past five innings in just one of those starts in which he gave up three-plus. So that is a little bit of an issue. And in the month of July, he gave up four-plus earned runs in three out of those four starts. So things are very interesting there. And for the Boston Red Sox, bullpen has actually been terrific ever since the beginning of the month of August top four bullpen with regards to ERA and then they've got that middle of the lineup that is absolutely fearsome. With the Toronto Blue Jays, you're going to have to really overcome that because with the Blue Jays, they've got really two guys whenever they don't have Reese McGuire in the lineup, whenever they do have them in, you've got three guys that are hitting above a 235 for the year. Now, Boba Shett and Vlad Guerrero Jr. are terrific. Vlad Ito Jr. hitting right around at 275 and Boba Shett a 311 and whenever you have Reese McGuire in there who I was talking about a little bit earlier, sitting above a 300, he his fifth home run of the year yesterday but you then have Kevon Biggio, Jonathan Davis, Derek Fisher, guys like this that their batting averages are awful and they're not getting a whole lot of home runs. Now with guys like Rowdy Telez, Randall Gritchick, Teoscar Hernandez, Justin Smoke, they all have 16 plus home runs so they at the very least do that but with the Boston Red Sox you get both power and home runs. Rafael Devers, J.D. Martinez and Xander Bogarts, and Xander Bogarts got the day off yesterday, by the way, all hitting between a 305 and a 315. And all these guys have 29 plus home runs. J.D. Martinez leads away with 35 of them. Mookie Betts is hitting a 291. You've also got Andrew Benatendi and Christian Vasquez hitting between a 270 and 275. Marco Hernandez, Brock Holt, pair of guys hitting above a 300. Need a little bit more out of Jackie Bradley Jr. Chris Owings, who took most of his bats with the Royals, along with Sandy Leon to pick things up there, hitting a 225 or lower, but this is the Boston Red Sox lineup that has been mashing the Toronto Blue Jays all year long. I don't expect anything different, though I do think that the Boston Red Sox could be able to do a very good job of being able to pitch this Blue Jays team that's just not generating any contact whatsoever. So for that reason, looking at the Red Sox on the run line and the total under, looking to see if I'm able to get even juice on this under, so we'd see mode there. Meanwhile, with the run line of the Red Sox, that's right around even juice, looking to see if I'm able to get a little bit of a plus price. We move on to 967-968. It is the Tampa Bay Rays, and they are hitting the road face-off against the Texas Rangers. Right now, it is currently listed as Ariel Gerardo going for the Texas Rangers. Meanwhile, the Vegas betting board says to be determined for the Tampa Bay Rays. 
I know that our man Christian Pino was saying that it was going to be Brendan McKay, and if that is the case, I probably would be looking at an over here as Brendan McKay in pretty much all but his last start have been giving up three-plus earned runs ever since the beginning of the month of July. Things have not been going well from ERA north of five. And with Gerardo, this is a guy that is vastly different home to road. On the road, he's got an ERA north of eight. At home, he's been a little bit better, but recently, it hasn't mattered where he's pitched. Home, road, on planet Pluto, he has just been bad. Now, I will say, he's made one start at home ever since the month of August. He went two innings, and he gave up two earned runs. And then in his month of July starts, in all three of his home starts, he went a grand total of 14 innings, and he gave up in that time span 12 earned runs. So there you go right there. He has not been very good. And typically, the Texas Rangers have been using an opener for him as well. So you do want to check your tickets there. But with the Tampa Bay Rays, you do have a very balanced lineup, and you've got a bullpen that is superb that is going to be backing up, whether it be Brandon McKay or whoever's starting for them. So that is obviously very encouraging. And with the Texas Rangers, one of the worst bullpens out there in the big leagues. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, you do have quite a few guys that are doing a great job of being able to rip the cover off the ball and are doing a tremendous job of getting on base in the process. And Avisail Garcia, Nathaniel Lowe, Austin Meadows, and Tommy Pham. All these guys are hitting between a 270, and in the case of Austin Meadows, he's hitting a 288 with 28 home runs, so he's been absolutely sensational there. Tommy Pham has 20 home runs, Avisail Garcia, 18 of them. Then you got a lot of guys hitting between a 248 and a 258. G-Man Choi, William Adamas, Keon Wong, and Michael Perez all hitting in that neighborhood. Now you do have some guys that do need to pick it up. Guillermo Redia, Joey Wendell, David Robertson, Mike Zanino, all guys are hitting a 225 or lower, so that's been a little bit of a hot mess. But you do look at Eric Sogard, who's currently banged up. Whenever he's back in there, he's going to be able to hit right around a 300 for this team. And for the Texas Rangers, they've been banged up as well, as they were relying on Noah Mazzara, guy hitting right around a 270 with quite a few home runs to be able to help them out. He is out of the fold, so that means that Sin Chuchu, Willie Calhoun, and Alvis Sanders have to step up. They're all in between a 265 and a 275. In the case of Sin Chuchu, he has gotten 21 home runs, and this team is really being carried by Danny Santana. 24 home runs, his batting average hovering right around a 285, so he's been doing a good job there. And Nick Solak, ever since getting called up for the minors. A on-base percentage above a 400, 323 batting average, so that's been nice to line up the Shields Jr. Hitting a 250, he's one of the quicker guys that you're going to find out there in the big leagues, and Isaiah Kinnear-Falfa does have his batting average hovering right around 240, but then you got the famine bats in. Rudad Odor, Jeff Mathis, Raul Guzman, Tim Fedorowicz, all guys that are hitting for this team a 210 or lower. It's been an absolute hot mess. I've got to be taking a look at the Tampa Bay's in their spot, even if it is one Brandon McKay. And if this total is below 11, probably going to be looking at it under. That's why he shook back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Junior Score 41 for set plays there, since I don't know exactly who the starter is going to be. But that's right now my early leans on this game. As we move on to 969, 970 on the bang rotation, the LA Angels play also Cleveland Indians. Adam Blutko goes for the Indians. Meanwhile, Dylan Peters for the Angels. Your total on this game is currently off the board because this whole game is off the board. And for Adam Pluko, this is a guy that's actually been doing a relatively decent job for the Cleveland Indians. He has given up more than three earned runs in just one start ever since the beginning of the month of August. And he's seen his home run count really go down as well. He's given up now fewer than two home runs per nine innings. This is a guy that got off to a really bad start to the year. And he's not much of a swing and miss guy. Right around 6.1 strikeouts per nine innings. But all in all, he's been solid. Meanwhile, Dylan Peters, he has actually been very good as well. I believe that he's given up more than three earned runs in just two of his starts ever since becoming a full-time starter. Now, in two out of his last three starts, he has given up three-plus earned runs, and he's given up at least three earned runs in all three of them, but 
He does a solid job of being able to keep things out in front of him. He doesn't walk a lot of guys, but his big kryptonite is the long ball. He's giving up right around 1.7 home runs per nine innings. That's not necessarily the best thing considering the Cleveland Indians have revamped their lineup. Now you've got a quadrant of guys that have 24-plus home runs in Francisco Lindor, Carlos Santana, Yasiel Puig, and Femio Reyes, and Roberto Perez with 22 himself, which is very good. In the case of Lindor and Carlos Santana, these guys are aiming between a 283 and a 295. You then have Jordan Luplo, Oscar Mercado, and other guys like Taylor Naquin that are currently injured. They're hitting a 270 or greater, so that has been able to give this team a little bit of a boost. Femio Reyes along with Jason Kipnis and Yasiel Puig all in between a 250 and a 260 as well, so they have been able to offer a little bit of support. you got guys like Eugene and Roberto Perez hitting below a 235, but all in all, this is now a pretty good lineup. And for the LA Angels, they have some guys that are getting on base as well. They were without Mike Trout again yesterday. You do want to note that, but Brian Goodwin, Daniel Fletcher, Shoya Otani, all in between a 279 and a 289. You do then have the famine bats of this team as you've got Austin Bemboom, Justin Upton, Wilfredo Tovar, Matt Theus, Max Stassi, need I go on, hitting a 220 or lower, Justin Bohr, just for good measure. You then have Jared Walsh, Cole Calhoun, Luis Rangifo, all in between a 230 and a 238. But I will say for Calhoun, he's got 28 home runs. And then Albert Pools, hitting right around a 250. He's got over 80 RBI and 20-plus home runs himself, so he's been solid. But this is going to be a spot that I'm probably going to be looking at the Cleveland Indians in because with the LA Angels, they've got a bottom five open in the big leagues ever since the beginning of the month of August. They've been a hot mess. Meanwhile, the Indians have been wiltering a little bit with their bullpen, but it is still the tops out there in the big leagues. So certainly going to be looking at the Indians in some form or capacity with this game being a little bit earlier in the evening on the West Coast, it is going to lend itself to a little bit of better hitting condition. So if you're seeing a 10, I'll probably take it over. Anything above a 10, certainly going to take it under, but I'm going to need to do more research because if Mike Trout is in slash out of the lineup, that'll affect things as well. So Jeff back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNR and one for set plays there. 971, 972 on the bang rotation is next as we've got the Chicago White Sox playing over the Kansas City Royals. Glenn Sparkman goes for the Royals. Rinaldo Lopez for the Chicago White Sox. Your total on this game is 10.5. Under is just a minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at the White Sox, anywhere between minus 155 and minus 156. Meanwhile, your plus price on the Royals, anywhere between plus 140 and plus 146. We went through it with Christian Pina. Glenn Sparkman, 9 ERA. He just absolutely sucks on the road. He's not very good at home. On the road, he's given up right around two home runs per nine innings. Doesn't have great command. There's not too many redeeming qualities here. I will say with the Royals, they're probably going to have to go to their wrong, long relievers. That is not a place where you want to be with this team. And Glenn Sparkman, 3-11 and 11 so far this year and has given up 27 home runs and 118 innings. Meanwhile, Ronaldo Lopez. Man, I always love saying that. He has certainly been getting shelled in his last couple starts. I will say that the complete game they had against the Cleveland Indians, certainly the elixir to that, but prior to that, he had given up three earned runs or more in four out of his last six starts, so things had not been going well there, including his previous outing to that complete game. He got two outs and gave up six runs, so it's one of those situations where it's like, wow, talk about the extremes, but something that is extreme is the lineup of the Kansas City Royals. As for the Royals, you have a couple guys that are doing a great job of getting on base. Whit Merrifield hitting right around a 300. Ado Berto Mondesi, one of the top base dealers out there in the big leagues. His batting average hovering right around a 265, and then you've got Alex Gordon hitting that realm as well. You've got Jorge Soler, 250 batting average, but the man has 41 home runs. Hunter Dozier's hitting a 290, and whenever you have Chester Cuthbert out there, he, along with Miles Valoria, hitting between a 235 and a 248. Nicky Lopez is hitting a 230, but then Ryan O'Hearn Bubba Starlin, Brett Phillips, Umberto Ortega. list goes on and on of guys hitting a 200 or lower. This is a Royals team that 
They've got a lot of those guys, and for the Chicago White Sox, they do have a couple guys that need to pick it up with the bat as well. as Wellington Castillo, Zach Collins, Daniel Polka, who's currently 1 for 53. How anyone on planet Earth in the juice ball era goes 1 for 53, I just don't know about that, but he is. These guys are all hitting a 225 or lower, and then you've got Adam Engel hitting right around a 225 as well, Ryan Cordell just above that. But then, Tim Anderson, 333 batting average. He's been absolutely terrific. You now have Lourdes Garcia back out there. He, James McCann, and Jose Abreu, only between a 273 and a 283. In the case of Jose Abreu, He's got over 110 RBI, 31 home runs. He has been absolutely sensational. You then have Eloy Jimenez, who's done a good job of being able to supply 25 home runs at a 250 batting average, and Yoan Mankata hitting nearly a 300 himself. I think that this is a clear advantage here to the Chicago White Sox. I think that they should just absolutely pound the tar out of Glenn Sparkman and with Rinaldo Lopez. More often than not, giving up right around 300 runs in his start. I think that this is a total that's going to be going over. I do have a lot more faith in the White Sox bullpen than that of the Kansas City Royals. So we are all aboard the Chicago White Sox in this spot, and we're going to be taking them on the run line at plus 125, and I've already locked that game in. Meanwhile, with this total, I am seeing it offshore tick down to 10, so I'm in wait and see mode there to get a 10 instead of a 10.5, so those are the plays there. As we move on to 973-974 on the bank rotation, the Oakland A's at the road to face off against the Houston Astros. This game is presently off the board because we have good old to be determined for the Houston Astros. Meanwhile, it's Brad Anderson for the Oakland A's, and right now, according to ESPN, it is going to be Frambar Valdez which yet's a guy that he's been winning a couple starts for the Astros, but he's a guy that you don't really want any part of in his three starts really since coming back to the big leagues. He's given up one, three, and six earned runs, so he has been all over the map. I will say that he's backed up by what was going into Tuesday, the best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break, but man, the Oakland A's did exactly what the Houston Astros did to them on Monday. It's just been a very weird series with a lot of early runs, and I do think that Brad Anderson going to be able to cut down on some of those runs. He's been very solid for the Oakland A's this year. 11-9 record. He's nothing great. He's going to get you like five strikeouts per nine innings, but he gives up right around 1.1 home runs per nine innings. Does a great job of being able to induce soft contact. He's a guy that he keeps the game out in front of him. He has given up more than four earned runs really in one start ever since he got blown up on June 23rd against the Tampa Bay Rays. So he's been solid. He gives up a lot of two and three earned run games. So you got to think that the Astros are going to be able to get to him a little bit. And I will also say this. The Astros are a team that, well, they've had a whole lot of success against left-handed pitching, and Brett Anderson is a left-hander. As for the Houston Astros, this is a historically good offense. In the fold, you've got George Springer, Jose Altuve, Michael Brantley, Yuri Gurriel is currently banged up, but Alex Bregman, Jordan Alvarez as well. All these guys are hitting a 295 or greater with 20-plus home runs. It is absolutely insane. And then you've got guys like Aledmi Diaz, Josh Reddick and company hitting right around at 265. Abraham Toro is up to his average of 255. Kyle Tucker, up-and-coming player. Robin Cicerino is for the years only hitting at 240, but he has really been good recently as well. Then you take a look at the Oakland A's. You actually have some solid production up and down, as right now you've got Seth Murphy, Marcus Simeon, Matt Olson and Mark Canna, all in between a 270 and a 276. In the case of Simeon, Canna, and Olson, all between 23 and 28 home runs on the campaign, so they've been doing a very good job there. Chris Davis got a home run yesterday, which is big because he, along with Chad Binder, Jurickson Profar, 
and Chris Herman are all guys hitting below a 240. And in the case of Davis, he's only been hitting a 221. He's been a little bit of a hot mess. But then you got Jeff Feigley along with Robbie Grossman hitting in that realm of a 250. So these guys have been able to do a decent job of getting on base as well. And for the Oakland A's, bullpen has been a little bit shaky. So I do want to note that. But if you're seeing Frambar Valdez as a sizable favorite, would have to be looking at the Oakland A's. This total comes out lower than 10. Probably going to be looking at it over. If you're seeing it in the double-digit range, probably going to take it under. But those are just my initial thoughts. When we get a line, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSquarty1 on all of the official plays. We head to Charm City as it is going to be the LA Dodgers going on the road to face off against the Baltimore Orioles. 975-976 on the banging rotation. It is Ross Stripling going for the Dodgers. Meanwhile, Jonathan Means for the Baltimore Orioles. Your total on this game is 10. Over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 105. Under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. So you pick your juice there. The Dodgers are a minus $2 to minus 210 favorite. If you're looking at the Orioles, anywhere between plus 180 and plus 185. Ross Stripling is just a hard guy to get behind. He has been really rotating between being a starter and being in the bullpen. He has not made too many starts recently as he had a stint on the injured list throughout the summer. He's currently 4-4 four four with a 3.42 ERA and in his two starts since coming off the injured list, he hasn't given up any earned runs but he went 3-2 and two innings respectively so certainly not giving a whole lot of length there. Meanwhile, Jonathan Means after the All-Star break, this guy hit a little bit of a wall but he has actually looked very good recently. 10-10 record but just a 3.50 ERA. You take a look at what he's done over his last four starts. He's given at least five innings in each of them, giving up one or two earned runs in every one of them. He is the one guy on the Baltimore Orioles that you can have a little bit of faith in. And with the Baltimore Orioles, well, we do know that that bullpen stinks. But you do have two guys in Renato Nunez and Trey Bumo Mancini that are doing a great job of being able to shell out the power. These two guys, a combined 59 home runs. So they have certainly been doing their part there. And they've got a couple guys that are doing a good job of getting on base as well. With Mancini, he, Jonathan VR, Anthony Santander, are all guys hitting between 276 and a 282. You do have Rio Ruiz hitting right around a 236. You then do have the fam of bats, so it's Chancisco, DJ Stewart, Jace Peterson, Richie Martin, Chris Davis, all guys that are hitting a 226 or lower. And Stevie Wilkerson, too. I cannot forget about him, but Hanser Alberto has been absolutely sensational. 322 batting average against lefties, more around a 400. And Mason Williams out there in the outfield. Limited at bats, but he's hitting above a 300. It's a bright spot for the Baltimore Orioles. We can't pass that up. Meanwhile, with the LA Dodgers, quite a few guys hitting between a 257 and a 267 in AJ Pollock, Chris Taylor, and Corey Seager. You also now have Jock Peterson hitting a 250. He's been doing a great job of being able to supply some power. He's got 32 home runs on the year. Gavin Lux has not been doing much since getting called up to the big leagues. He and Jed Gurk are hitting below a 220 along with Russell Martin and Austin Barnes at the catcher spot, but Will Smith at the catcher spot has been j- getting jiggy with it himself, getting a home run right around every 10 to 11 at bats. He's hitting at 270. Kike Hernandez is coming off the injured list. Has been much improved. Before going on the injured list, he was hitting below a 230. Now it's right around a 243. But then you've got that man, Cody Bellinger. 306 batting average. He's got 44 home runs, over 100 RBI. He has been absolutely sensational. you got Justin Turner down for what? And Matt Beattie in between a 285 and a 300 themselves. And David Freeze seeing some at-bats now as well. He's hitting above a 300. He's got a lot of pop in the bat. And with the Dodgers, what really goes under the radar as well is that their bullpen is third best in the National League with regards to ERA, and they've actually been performing quite well. So this is a spot where I do think that Ross Stripling is going to give up more runs than Jonathan Means. I think that Means is actually going to lead the Orioles to victory, as strange as it sounds as the Dodgers. Yeah, they are above 500 on the road, but they are nowhere near the same team that they are at home. 
coming for the Baltimore Orioles. Well, they need to get a win sometimes. So we're going to be going with the plus 185 price of the Baltimore Orioles. I certainly do think that public money is going to be coming in on the Dodgers. So I'm waiting to see mode there. And I'm going to be taking this total under. I think that there's going to be a lot of people steaming up the over. So going to be in Wayne Seam on both of those as we move on to the city of Minnesota, 977-978 on the Bay rotation. The Twins are going to be playing also Washington Nationals. Steven Strasburg goes for the Nets. Meanwhile, Martin Perez goes for the Minnesota Twins. Your total on this game is 10. The over and under both at minus 110. If you're looking at the Nationals, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 137 and minus 145. Meanwhile, the plus price here with the Twinkies, anywhere between plus 127 and plus 135. I think that Christian Pina is really on to something. Steven Strasburg has been very good on the road, aside from that start they had about a month or so ago against the Arizona Diamondbacks. That was one in which he gave up nine earned runs. That's one that you take the tape of, you put it into a time capsule, you bury it into the ground, and you never dig it back up. That said, he's actually been pretty darn decent as he's given up more than three earned runs in none out of his last four starts, so he's been doing a very solid job there, and aside from that start, he's won at least five and two-thirds innings in every one of his starts ever since then. Meanwhile, with Martin Perez, this is a guy that gave up seven runs in an inning to the Detroit Tigers very recently. Needless to say, that is not a mark that you want on your ledger. I will also say this. In four out of his last five starts, he's given up two earned runs or fewer, so you do have that bad start against the Tigers, but then you do also have those good results. For Martin Perez, he has been giving up the long ball a little bit, but the walks are really the main issue. He's given up right around 3.7 to 3.8 walks per nine innings, and the Washington Nationals have been essentially the hottest offense out there in the big leagues ever since the beginning of the month of August, and it's because you've got two men in the middle of the lineup in Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto that just have ridiculous power. Both have 32-plus home runs. Both have an on-base percentage above a 400. Then you've got Adam Eaton and Trey Turner at the top lineup hitting between a 285 and a 301. They're doing a tremendous job of getting on base. You now have Howie Kendrick back in the fold. He's hitting nearly a 330. Ezra Cabrera ever since joining the Washington Nationals has been hitting above a 300 for the year. He's hitting more around a 255-ish. Ryan Zimmerman and Victor Robles are both hitting between a 240 and 250 as well. Need to get a little bit more out of Michael A. Taylor and Jan Gobes. They're both hitting below a 220, but gotta like what you're seeing there. Meanwhile, if the Minnesota Twins, Luis Odeas doing a terrific job of being able to get on base. 340 batting average, on base percentage above a 400. And then you've got the record for most home runs in a season from this lineup. And all these guys have very comparable batting averages. Mitch Garver, Eddie Rosario, Ahir Andrianza, Williams Estadio, all in between a 270 and a 280. Mitch Garver, 29 home runs. Eddie Rosario has got over 80 RBI. He has went deep for the year 28 times. You've got Max Kepler, who's got 35-plus home runs. Nelson Cruz hitting above a 300. He's got 35-plus home runs. Jonathan Scope is supplying home runs. list goes on and on. And for the Minnesota Twins, bullpen has been a little bit improved. So even if it is a situation in which Martin Perez does get blown up, they they do have some backup, and I will say for Steven Strasburg, he has been giving up a couple runs, and then Nationals bullpen. Well, it continues to be in the bottom five of the big leagues with regards to ERA, but I do think that the Nationals will be able to prevail, and I do think that they're going to put up quite a few runs on the board. So for that reason, I've already locked in the Nationals' money line as a play, and I'm going to be taking this total over with regards to the over. Currently, Wayne C mode because I am noticing that the juice is sort of going all over the place offshore. Meanwhile, things are staying stagnant in Vegas, so looking to see if I'm able to get a little bit more of a favorable number. And we wrap things up with 979-980 on the bank rotation. The Cincinnati Reds are going to be hitting the road to face off against the Seattle Mariners. Marco Gonzalez. 
Gonzalez for the Seattle Mariners is going to be the starter. Meanwhile, Sonny Gray goes for the Cincinnati Reds. Your total on this game is 8. Overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Others anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Reds, that is anywhere between minus 135 and minus 136. Plus price here of the Mariners is anywhere between plus 124 and plus 125. You have to absolutely love the way that Sonny Gray has been pitching. He's on a whole nother level right now. Meanwhile, Marco Gonzalez, I will say this for him. He has been probably the most sturdy starter of the Seattle Mariners. Now, he has had a couple starts in which he's given up more than three earned runs. He's had his issues, especially that one start, I believe, at the beginning of the month of July in which he gave up 10 earned runs against the LA Angels. In his last start, he wound up giving up four runs against the Houston Astros. But all in all, he's been a decent starter that's been able to keep things out in front of him. He's backed up by a bullpen that is not very good, though. Meanwhile, Sonny Gray, this is a guy that has been absolutely sensational. I will say, he has given up right around three and a half walks per nine innings, but he's getting nearly 10 and a half to 11 strikeouts per nine, and he has not allowed more than two earned runs in too many of his starts. Ever since June 21st, he has allowed more than two earned runs in one start. That is absolutely insane. And I will say he's backed up by a bullpen of the Cincinnati Reds that began the year good, but has been very, very shaky recently. It's in the bottom 10 in the big leagues with regards to ERA ever since the All-Star break, but he is backed up by a lineup that is doing a better job of being able to drive the ball out. Aristide Aquino in the month of August had 14 home runs. That's a National League rookie record. He, along with Philip Irvin, are both guys hitting between a 280 and a 285. Jose Iglesias has been doing a nice job of getting on base. He's hitting a 292. Then you got quite a few guys hitting in that realm of, I would say, a 255 and a 269. Eugenio Suarez, Joey Votto, Freddie Galvis, along with Nick Senzel, all in that neighborhood. And in the case of Suarez, he's got the most home runs in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break, and he's got 44 for the year. Tucker Barnard and Jose Peraza both hitting between a 232 and a 240 as well. But then with the Seattle Mariners, you certainly do have some guys that do need to pick it up with their batting average as Daniel Vogelback, Ryan Court, Keon Broxson, Dill Moore, Mac Williamson, and Jake Fraley are all guys that are hitting below a 220 for this team. Kyle Seager has picked it up, though. He now has 21 home runs. I think that, like, 14 of those has come ever since the All-Star break, and I think you just heard my keys in the background about a minute ago, so I do want to acknowledge that, but you then have Austin Nola, Thomas Murphy, Omar Navias, and Tim Lopez, all in between a 264 and a 280. In the case of Murphy and Navias, they have combined for right around 37 home runs at the catcher spot. And for Daniel Vogelback, though he's only hitting a 215, does have 30 home runs. On base percentage is hovering right around a 340 to a 350. And Alex Smith, he's hitting a 234, but he's one of the top base heroes out there in the big leagues. He actually leads the league in stolen bases with 40. And then D. Gordon's hitting a 285 as well. I do think that we're going to see quite a few runs in this game. I think that the Cincinnati Reds are going to be able to get to Mr. Gonzalez. And I I do think that Sonny Gray is going to be able to turn a good start, but I think that the bullpen gives up a couple as well, but I think the Cincinnati Reds should be able to prevail. So, going to be taking the Reds on the money line and the total over. Currently, waiting to see about to see if the Lions are going to be able to tick down a little bit better for a little bit more of a favorable number, as that will do it for the Wednesday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to our man Christian Pina of the Sports Gambling Podcast Network for joining me in the last segment. And if you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Every big question for the podcast feel free to tweet it in at you nerds where you want let's speak today it's successful profitable and fun one i'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow thank you so much for tuning in